Welcome to Japan on Fire 24 on Sabu's Miss Zombie. And as a great fan of zombie movies, of mostly the past, it is an overcrowded genre and rarely nowadays something com comes along that feels like it's done with uh, heart, skill and originality within the zombie genre. Sabu did a zombie movie in 2013 called Miss Zombie. And it's uh, with this mostly black and white exercise where he provides his take featuring the content and the characters, if you will, of zombies. It's with this that we conclude this Japan of Fire series on his career as uh, up to this point, up to 2013. It is an ongoing career as we have established. Yeah, with me, can it be to put a cap on it all is again the cinema's Coffin Johns. So welcome back, buddy. Hello, mateys. Hello, matey. Yeah, obviously I am Australian, so uh, and and I'm a pirate as well. Well, Sweden, that's that's one of the regions of Australia, right? Austria, as well. <laughs> like the sparse YouTube comments I've gotten over the years. Uh, like my, my my favorite ones are like, uh, who is this Australian guy talking over the trailer? <laughs> Number one, you misunderstood it. No, it's not a trailer. It's a video review. And my favorite ones was, was my very first one, where I realized how Swedish differs from. English in kind of um, structure and intent. Someone uh, said, I was talking about actor Jordan Chan, okay, Hong Kong actor, and in that review, I pronounced Jordan with a soft J because that is more natural to do in Swedish. So the comment went like, Jordan Chan with a silent J, WTF? <laughs> if this is a problem in your life and you needed to write that out, good luck to you. Whoever you are, <laughs> so that, that's where it is. So I'm, I'm Australian, Austrian, Norwegian. I've heard in, uh, but, but but that was a good review of our podcast. He just didn't know where I was from, so he uh, settled on Norwegian, which is close enough. So no one's ever accused you of being Danish. No, not yet. Anyway, I'll start that contingency. <laughs> Let's uh, jump into it. It's uh, it's uh, just a contact information section, and then it's off to reviewing Miss Zombie. No production background, anything for this one. So it is it's Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is located at podcastonfire.com. Uh, we have various shows on Hong Kong cinema, Korean cinema, in this case Japanese cinema, and uh, a, a variety of bonus episodes available on there as well. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com If you're a presence on Facebook, you can find us over there. Uh, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And if you want to join the main interaction going on between uh, us and uh, various people, it's better to join the Podcast on Fire network discussion group. And it's called that very thing, Podcast on Fire network. So just search that on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I don't review Japanese movies uh, necessarily, but uh, every now and again there's a co-production creeping in, Hong Kong-Japanese co-production thing. But mainly I concern myself with said Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and some uh, fantastically funny Godfrey Ho Ninja movies as well. And that takes place at SoGoodReviews.com and I video review, post little uh, spoken audio reviews of my main rev reviews at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at, is at SoGoodReviews. And Japan on Fire is available on iTunes if you want to subscribe and have our show delivered to you promptly when it is released. And uh, if you have the time, please leave a rating and, rating and a small written comment as well. 
And finally, from my end, if you don't like downloading podcasts to your preferred device, there is the option of Stitcher Radio, either their website. Uh, their website is where you can find our shows, but uh, the best way to find us is by downloading uh, the applications uh, either from the Apple App Store or Google Play. And you are, what's your title again over at V Cinema, just to uh, like uh, big, big you up a little bit here, John? Uh, I'm the guy who pays the bills, essentially. Um of course, uh, V Cinema show. Uh, I'm technically uh, editor in chief, but actually, um, that because of my job, I have very little time to dedicate to uh, to those kinds of pursuits. So, um, our acting editor in chief at the moment is Dr. John Barra. Been doing a great job, uh, both uh, posting um, reviews and articles on the site, as well as, of course, writing a lot of them himself. And I would definitely check us out. If you're into Asian film, we do a wide variety of stuff, not just uh, just only Japanese or not just only Hong Kong film, but uh, again, a wide variety of stuff. And very seen, uh, I think I'd say very much seen from an enthusiast point of view rather than uh, um, a fan's point of view. Uh, obviously, we're all fans of uh, Asian film, but um, I think... Uh, in general, our, our reviews are kind of a little more oriented uh, toward um, just general film review uh, rather than looking from, you know, a fanboy point of view. Not to say that uh, either one is more important than the other. We are located at vcinemashow.com. That's S-H-O-W. Uh, we're also on Twitter as vcinemashow. And we are on uh, Facebook as well. So um, check us out on either of those uh, three avenues uh, of course, we want you to go to the site, but, uh, you know, we're at the most popular uh, social media uh, venues at the very least. Snapchat, therefore. Um, no. <laughs> so so that statement, therefore, is like pretty empty. We're on the most popular social media. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the most popular as of uh, five years ago. How about that? Exactly. Like, <laughs> did, did you ever have a MySpace page? Because you've been around. I, I had one, a personal one, yeah, but never one for vCinema. <laughs> Uh, but okay, uh, those links will be available in the show post, so check out V Cinema for heaven's sake. But in the meantime, let's jump right into it. We only have one thing on the, on the agenda during this closing episode, and that is the review of Miss Zombie from 2013, I suppose next to last completed movie at this point. And plot from the variety review of the film, I will link to the V Cinema show uh, review of the film that simply didn't look it up for the outline. But I am aware now of uh, Colleen's review of the film, so I will definitely link to that. And uh, But the variety review of the film goes as follows. The film begins with a cage arriving at the villa of Dr. Teramoto, played by Toro Tezuka. Inside is a disheveled woman, Shara, played by Ayaka Komatsu. The accompanying instruction manual for her prescribes a diet of fruits and vegetables and warns against feeding her any meat. A special pistol is also provided in the case of in a case of emergency. Despite the neighbor's concern, Doctor Teramoto vouches for Shara's harmlessness as a mere carrier with a low zombie virus count. Remember, it's a, it's a zombie movie. At Teramoto's wife, Shizuko, played by Makoto Togashi, orders Shara to scrub her porch in exchange for her daily rations of rotten greens. Nice. Uh, the trouble begins when when workmen on the grounds. Uh, they catch a sight of uh, Shara's behind and uh, feel, feels that is kind of a turn on. Uh, the behind, as the variety review says, that is firmed up by rigor mortis. Pretty sleazy. Uh, Terramoto witnesses something horrifying that happens in the wake of this and instead of interfering, he's turned on by it. The zombie, Shara, takes her humiliation with muted indifference yet with a sense of 
yet a sense of foreboding pervades. And sure enough, something happens to Terramoto's young son, the little uh, the little uh, photograph, <laughs> photographer Kenichi, and his mother makes a rash decision that makes Shara that gives Shara a chance to turn the tables. And for my review of the movie, rather quick, quick bite-sized opinion. First of all, it's a pretty decently constructed tale featuring a zombie with a gun to my head. I'm not sure I could say this is something you could slot into either the horror genre or the zombie genre. It features the character of one. But uh, that's just me. It also features like the heinous elements that man possesses. They could have been heinous towards. Uh, it doesn't need to be a zombie that they're heinous against. Uh, like the man has shown to be very heinous against fellow man, but in this case, they take out some uh, some heinous inner thoughts on on a zombie. And uh, it's quite a slow movie. It's uh, again black and white, but Sabu involves to quite a decent degree and skillfully uses a very non-verbal narrative. And by the way, I said it's slow, it's also short. It's 85 minutes. So that's a semi-long way of explaining my quick opinion of the film. But in short, what is your opinion of Miss Zombie? Well, I don't want to swing full into discussion, but I kind of disagree with you when you say that it's not really a horror film. I think it's a horror film in the classic sense of of, um, film horror in that... uh, the film is uh, very much influenced by, you know, the German expressionist horror films like Dr. Caligari and whatnot, as well as, um, you know, I'll probably go into a little more detail, you know, things like uh, Frankenstein. I think, uh, you know, my general view of the film is that, um, you know, besides being a kind of an interesting take on um, it being a so-called zombie film or a horror film, you know, and we'll probably talk a little bit, little bit about those two uh concepts later maybe uh just go back a little bit about talking uh, about uh it being a horror film it, it does kind of take that kind of sort of traditional stance of, of the horror film as being like you know who's the real monster you know that kind of thing you know we're not just not just, just humans but it, i think the film comments on you know classism to a degree you know the the and actually i'm glad that you brought up that uh the variety uh review of the film because actually i read that um just a couple of days ago, just see like you know what kind of response it got from the festival crowd. And I think the variety review pretty much hits the nail on the head as far as films concerned. You know, it really looks at the looks at, at the topic of um, the bourgeois hypocrisy uh, of um, of you know basically the world. You know how the middle class is in one sense sympathetic to the cause of you know the of lower classes but at the same time manipulates them just as much as you know the upper class does so i think that's kind of an interesting look at it very stark film both in how it's shot as well as its uh, content matter i think it works but i don't think it's going to work for everyone no no it's uh it's a bit of a it's not super challenging i guess but it's mm-hmm. among other things i'm sure you have other things to support that claim but among other things i think pace is going to be an issue with people because it's a lot of um the days are very repetitive until mm-hmm. it starts hitting a little bit of a, a fever pitch for this movie right yeah and even the fever pitch is not really the or the the scene i guess that kicks off what we call the the fever pitch manner of the film uh it doesn't necessarily 
to me constitute you know the bulk of the film i would say you know as far as its content is concerned it's it's not like it snaps into this monday dance sequence that just makes the movie go from 10 decibels to 100 or anything no it's 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 like logical uh, a logical fever pitch within this um, uh, like atmosphere that he's uh, creating let me just uh, get something out of the way how does this um, stack up against current japanese cinema i mean is it is it more creative but not as done not as formulaic and is it far from the mainstream uh, this this movie oh yeah very much so i mean i I would think that if this even played in theaters in japan i I assume it did i did i mean there's a i did see a a poster that was not necessarily like a dvd release poster it probably played in like art houses you know or maybe like film archives or something something like that you know to bring up another film that's kind of similar um there's a film out that is uh that was put into theatrical release lim- very limited theatrical release in the US uh by uh Tide Point Pictures is uh this film called uh, Sanguivorous which is a uh, vampire film and again it's kind of like this film where it's it's very influenced by um you know a silent horror film as well as you know the German expressionistic uh uh, film it's a variation on you know vampire themes and whatnot but i would say you know both films are very much films that you would not see in a commercial theater they would be very much small runs if any runs at all really i mean i think sabu has an, enough a name for at least a couple theaters to pick it up but they again they'd be indie art house type theaters is my guess yeah, so to get that vibe that it isn't, you know, a corporate product or anything. But uh, then again, I shouldn't assume. That's why I ask if, uh, because the who knows, part of the Japanese cinema audience might be welcoming, companies welcome to put challenges into more theaters. But uh, maybe we had this discussion before that formula is, and the safe bets are maybe right now the more... Uh, spread focus and and the more intense focus uh, i mean that's also a global thing of course like yeah you know and and just to dial it back to the fact that this is uh this is a zombie movie it features a zombie i'm a i'm a great fan of a certain era of course i mean i i grew up um i didn't grow up with with them but uh you know sometime in the 90s i became aware of of uh george romero films and and they they, they still play very well with me and even then there you know there were Tons of zombie movies being made just to cash in, you know, going as far back as Night of the Living Dead. I'm sure it was a wake of these kind of movies. But nowadays, man, I mean, maybe it's gone on for five, ten years or whatever, but I have no faith in anyone, essentially. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there is occasionally someone who just, like, pops, uh, like, with a fairly fresh take on the zombie content. Uh, do you remember the movie The Dead that was set in Africa? Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. That was pretty good. But when I see a title like, and I'm sorry if I'm judgy, but personally, this is just personal. When I see a title like Cockney vs. Zombies, I'm not encouraged at all <laughs> to see that. Because I'm not really a fan of, you know, wide, widely so, of like the goofy zombie movie. Like, Shaun of the Dead. I love Shaun of the Dead, but not everyone can be Shaun of the Dead, of course. I mean, are, are you even a fan of the, 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 the sort so of say classics, the Romero trilogy, the gory zombie movies of, uh, of the past? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, there's, of course, you know, Zombie and, the, you know, it's, you know, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead. You know, that was the, you know, definitely the, um, the golden era as far as, you know, zombie films were concerned. But then, you know, as you mentioned, maybe about, you know, eight, eight or so years ago, zombie films, you know, jump the shark. 
but you know, any combination of of the dead that uh, turns out today, like a Nazi zombies, uh, you know, I'm not very encouraged to go into. Like, like that movie, Dead Snow, might be good, but I've seen like mm-hmm. tons of like posters with Nazi zombies over and over again. Like, don't, I don't even care for that like combination. Like, or oh, Adolf Hitler is a zombie, so what? And we all know that if we want uh, you know Nazi zombies, we'll go to Oasis of the Dead. So. It's... <laughs> Yeah, so, so so like it's a it's it's an overcrowded genre, whether in um, whether in uh, America, Europe, or even Asia. Yeah, so um, let, let's uh, jump into some specifics here. I th- there's no setup here. We just get like clues dropped without uh, exposition dumps. Like there's no this is a dark era. The zombies came and blah 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 blah. Like there's no such thing. We just see her delivered and we see her caged up, uh, and that's fine as a setup. I think that's. We get enough of a picture of what has happened. There's been a zombie outbreak, but it's under control to the extent that now they're being used as slaves and workers, and they can control them. They know the different categories of... uh, They know if they're just mildly uh, infected, that they can be controlled. They're not raging monsters uh, wanting to chomp down on you. I can't think of many examples, John, where we get... An aftermath uh, like this, where it seems like it's not cured, but it's under control and exploited. And I don't remember many examples of this. Like Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead, I don't think it had that a little bit in Land of the Dead. I remember they had like, they put them in cage matches and crap like that, but. Uh... Yeah, in, in Day of the Dead, there's a bub. Yeah, yeah, they try to humanize uh, the zombies in uh, Day of the Dead, right. which is interesting because here it's only mild infection, and clearly she's got one foot in with in humanity and one foot in not in escalating infection. Her infection is like stable; it's where it is. Uh, she's only going to get worse if she's maybe bitten by another zombie, I suppose. Uh, but it it seems uh, fairly infrequent this angle where. We got them under control, and now we can make money off them, too. No, there is a film, uh, it was early 2000s, if I remember. Oh, it's called Fido, that um, basically made uh, zombies as pets. It's your favorite kind of film, is a zombie comedy, so. <laughs> Are you hungry, Fido? <laughs> God damn it, he did it again. I think there's been a couple of our films that have done something like that, but not to a dramatic degree like um, like Miss Zombie, though. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like this setup there where we are allowed to fill in. Of course, we're allowed, but he's not just throwing all the the plot elements that took place before the movie starts at us as exposition dumps. And I like in the case of this that I can conjure up some own imagery of. There wasn't. There was an outbreak. There was a crisis, and now it's contained to a degree where no one is really scared of a zombie like her walking around anyway, because she's not uh, intense and she's easily exploited and bullied as well. Uh, so um, it's interesting. It's an interesting like uh, leap off point, and it's all shot with um, part shaky camera, but also a very floaty sense in the camera work which i appreciated i'm quite allergic to this lazy use of shaky camera but some pull it off if they focus on you know injecting a, a story a narrative that works i mean last one i think is good at at that very cutty and very shaky camera work because uh, it just kind of makes sense for him he has mastered that in my opinion a little bit more yeah and sabu here is is being intense every now and again but mostly 
it's a very floaty and even still camera language. I mean, you're, if you remember the scene where she patches herself up, where she sews her uh, her wound on her um, hand together, the, mm-hmm. I remember the camera just kind of just floating a little bit. And that makes it all, I say shaky, but it's a very much clear vision as depicted because it's a slow movie and that is when all of a sudden it's kind of reflected in the cinematography as well. So he's, he's, um, he's getting the elements together, like curiosity in the story, what happened, even though there's no, we won't find out much about what happened in the past. And uh, this kind of contained story, because when all is said and done, it's a very contained story. It's at almost at maybe most three locations, you know, mainly one. It seemed like to me there were at least two <laughs> you know i'm thinking of uh this there's like this small shed that is kind of like uh, the miss zombie's home as well as the home of the doctor himself but that shed could have been easily just you know part of the home it was just shot in a way that you know suggests that the two are far away or some distance away and, and then when she disposed of what i said was trash uh, like daily and and uh, because she was, she did kids throw throw uh, rocks at her, and there's some some adults as well who stab her multiple times while she's disposing of uh, either trash or something else. Uh, but you know, when all is said and done, it, it's very evident what he's doing here. You can connect it to exploitation in real life, and it doesn't need to be some zombies. You know, we were talking slavery and exploitation. Do do you think he's? Uh, we talked last episode of Walking the Line of uh, too much melodrama and really melodrama. How do you think he walks the line between being being too on the nose? I suppose it might, is my question. Do, do you think he he have this? Well, I think it's much more successful than let's say Connie Coulson, which is you know just dripping with that for sure. And I mean, I think the metaphor is pretty obvious, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's too heavy handed. But at the same time. You know, of course, just like with uh, most other films, you know, noticing it or having some awareness of it, you know, I think enhances the film, you know, obviously. Kind of go with the flow is uh, it's okay to, you don't need to like sit down and analyze it and try and find the, to try and find the flaw in it because it's... You just know it's there. I mean, it kind of permeates the film without, you know, stinking it up. Exactly, because it, the scenario is you're curious about it to an enough extent where... Like, I, I thought of details such as, what's the end game of just scrubbing that damn outside area each and every day? I could, why, why are they even hiring her for this slow work that she's doing, where she's just scrub, scrub, scrub? I kind of saw that as being, you know, I mean, it's futility, right? It's an exercise in futility. And, you know, it's exercise in, it's kind of like the myth of Sisyphus. You know, it's like as much as you clean that patio off, I mean, hey, it's going to rain again and, you know, whatever, people are going to walk across it, across it, you know. So, you know, what's the point? Well, that's that's kind of, you know, part of, you know, the theme of, you know, as you were saying, like exploitation or, you know, again, you know, like I said earlier, the um, bourgeois idea of, you know, let's give the poor people work to do, but what value is it, you know? But but to be honest, I'm, I got to say, he depicts it well when he starts bringing in the kind of uh-oh point of these, especially these uh, workers on the grounds who kind of go like, hey, hey, check her out, like, check out her ass, looks good, she's a zombie, well, so what? 
still a mass man i mean essentially that's what they're saying and she's not fully a zombie either i mean i mean it's that's established earlier he's the the, the doctor says that she's a carrier which means she doesn't have the full blown virus you know but but she can't speak seemingly and her like she she walks slowly and some um skill sets seem fairly like distant to her i think the wife is showing her like you scrub like this and then she picks up on the act of scrubbing and so mm-hmm. so like she's lost something uh including um, a, a bunch of her humanity i suppose like but her memories are an awareness is still intact and i, I gotta say it's uh, it made me really uncomfortable in a in a way where the movie's doing its job very well like just a minor beat like one of the grounds workers spraying a piece of water on her just for fun like shh, that, and she reacts to that like a you know a dog or a cat would to mm-hmm. this unexpected piece of bullying in this case and i think he he hits that um he's that well uh, for me and maybe the little son isn't uh doesn't have ill intentions by snapping the polaroid in her face all the goddamn time but it's it's you know it's pretty much uh, he's in her face he maybe looks at uh, her as a as a pet too like that he can have fun with uh and and it's fun too. I said Polaroid. It's supposedly set in modern times, but Sabu isn't like having him running around with an iPhone and Snapchatting or Instagramming pictures of her. No, it's a Polaroid. Right. So maybe he's trying to be not saying that it is set specifically in 2015. Maybe he 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 argues that you can might as well dial, dial it back to 1995. You know who knows. Well, it's kind of unusual because well, for one thing, the setting is unusual because that kind of house that they're living in is kind of like more European influenced. And to me, that totally threw me off because I've never seen a house like that in Japan. Not, not to say that one doesn't exist, but it's just like, I mean, a kind of house where you need to have groundskeepers and stuff like that. I mean, that that's really unusual in Japan. I mean, not just for the influence's sake, but also just for the sake of generally in Japan, there's not that much space to put a house to begin with, you know, and especially if it's like this sort of European style villa, but also the way they dress, you know, I mean, they dress, of course, in very Western clothing, but it's like, you know, their clothes also seem kind of European influence, like something that European, like someone like let's say german maybe french you know i I couldn't get the style but it kind of felt like more like you know like beginning of the night of the the, the 20th century you know like 1920s 1930s maybe that's part of the uh again that um that silent film influence you know to sort of brings uh, the costuming that they had back in those you know back in those days I, I don't think it's an expensive production to the degree where they built this stuff. So they probably, after some maybe frustrating uh, scout, uh, location scouting, found this uh, this house built by someone who enjoyed that particular architecture. So uh, it's certainly not CGI, of course. Like, uh, oh, look at our house. That isn't there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but do, do you think, um, being a slow movie at 85 minutes, do you think it... Um, involves and earns uh, taking its time to because it takes a good hour before we well maybe 45 minutes to before so like we start to form a picture of what is possibly going on here if she's going to be firmly abused for uh, for 85 minutes or if she is going to experience a turnaround of some kind uh, our shara so do you think uh, sabu uh, earns, uh, earns being slow and taking his time yeah, I think so. Again, you know, part of it is the influence. A lot of uh, silent films, and and then if you, I guess, if you 
sort of stretch it out to just art film in general is kind of slow. You know, I guess uh, by, you know, modern film viewers uh, standards anyway. Um, so I think I think it's I mean, it's you know, it's certainly the case that uh, you can tell that he wanted to um, make a variation on the zombie film. And to me, I, I couldn't see the film being any faster. I mean, it feels if there were like jump cuts and stuff, I think I would be kind of it'd be really jarring because then you can't because the the slowness what we call slowness um which is you know it sounds like a bit of a pejorative to be honest but uh you know that sort of establishes a lot of things you know it establishes the mood for one thing it establishes how the film was shot it establishes characters it establish also establishes sort of the mundanity yep. the, the mundanity I, I forgot how to pronounce that word um of the everyday life of what's happening and the fact that there's a zombie or someone who's infected, um, a carrier or whatever within that life kind of makes kind of creates the intrigue. So that society has gotten to the point where zombies or carriers are not really that out of the ordinary. Because they clearly do not feed either. Like there's there's multiple times, as I said, where young adults they um, for about two or three days in a row they stab her in the in the shoulder while she's carrying off the trash or whatever she is carrying. I, I forgot. And she doesn't react because she doesn't feel pain, but she doesn't look back either, or she just continues walking because this is this is her life. You know, there's uh, there's there's no way this is going to be turned around. Uh, but uh, you know, no. The kind of structure of the movie is that, as the plot alluded to, it, that there is um, not going to be like a mundane life for eighty-five minutes. There, there are events here that uh, changes uh, changes things. But I think it's not necessarily the case that it's her life because she is a zombie. But I think we find out through flashbacks that she may be that way because of, for a reason, because she is encountered a you know great loss you know so that that's the thing that's kind of interesting i guess because that at that point brings up the point of you know how much of a human is she and how much of a quote zombie is she and you know from what we learn of her history you know we that sort of um also brings up that question you know like how much of it is her acting through the virus and how much of it is, is it acting through you know all the experience that she's had in her life and and because Sabu isn't stating that plainly, that that is is part of the intriguing nature of it. That right. we ask ourselves these questions. It's not like we're demanding answers. Like give us the exposition dump. Damn it! No, not at all. Not at all. It's a uh, and and the atmosphere and the aura, the insidious aura of man hanging over the movie from maybe. 30, 40 minutes and onwards is, is very effective. And But Sabu isn't going, despite featuring exploitation, he's not doing an exploitation movie with a 15-minute... Uh, in this case, I can say this much, there is a rape scene in the movie that we never see. But, but the, the two... I think there's a slap, essentially, or a punch of her, and then, essentially, the man walking away or a slight aftermath. And that's in this case, is more than enough for us to feel quite horrified at... Uh, what's mm-hmm. happened to her and it's not the last like horrible event that's going to happen to her as, as the plot alluded to the the doctor the father finds this horrifying but he goes from that to being turned on by it which uh, is uh is there in the movie but again it's not uh it doesn't go all 
and C17 on us or anything. It's uh, it's uh, quite restricts itself in terms of uh, graphic imagery, uh, at least uh, for an hour. There's more bloodshed from the hour point than onwards. Uh, I can say that much. Right, and I, I think uh, you know to go along with that, I think it was interesting his choice of the um, of the uh, actress to uh, you know portray the the, the zombie woman. Is I, I think part of his choice may have been kind of ironic that the actress was actually formally, or I, I, she might still be kind of like what they call, um, I guess it, what in English you could call a uh, swimsuit model swimsuit model or idol model or something of that in Japanese it's like a gravia model uh it's it's a i think it's a french term if i'm correct gravure or something so, like that so she's not like a catwalk style a catwalk style model no you'd see her in like magazines you know some of them of the racier nature some you know maybe a little less so now I think uh, I think she's actually retired from that uh, type of work. I think she's more of a TV personality now because I've seen her on TV before for sure. In terms of acting, though, is this her first role? Probably not. I'm sure she's been in like TV and stuff, but I'm sure this must be the, the first role of this type, <laughs> if that helps any. Personally, I think she did a great job. Oh, she's fantastic. She has no dialogue, man. And that she, I think she hums or whistles a song at most, and maybe a, a little shriek or two <laughs> if you complete that and you communicate to the audience what you're going through sans dialogue it's obviously working with fellow cast and crew but if you communicate that you're doing a hell of a job and i think she is doing a hell of a job for what is essentially both a silent role and a role where we don't clearly see her face all the time as the movie expands its story we see her face a bit clearer um, she has the um, infection makeup on her, but it's not extensive where she, to the point where she's covered in um, rubber, and that's why we don't see her. You know, hats off to her. I think this um, is uh, it could have gone wrong, of course. In uh, but uh, having a non-verbal narrative and a non-verbal uh, lead actress in this case is brave. Is maybe too like it's not like it hasn't happened before. But I enjoyed the choice, and I. Got and I got the movie. It was not like the talk was missing for me to fill in blanks, and uh, that applies to the performance here as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her performance was the strongest out of the cast, in my opinion. The the, the rest of the cast was kind of like mediocre to okay. <laughs> you know, I, some of the performances I didn't really. I, I was kind of surprised that uh, the uh, wife is played by uh, Makoto Togashi, who's normally a pretty decent actress. I, I her performance didn't really. She goes big <laughs> by the end. Yeah, she does, but um, I thought it was slightly not convincing, I guess is the word. It wasn't strong enough or something, you know. There's something, the, the emotional impact just wasn't there for me. I, I, I agree. I think it's uh, one of them, like the more on the nose content is in regards to the wife's role. At one point, it seems like so much has happened to her that she's almost reverted into a zombie state, which I think, oh... Oh, you're going there, Sabu. Watch out, watch out for the ledge. Watch out for the ledge. It works in the end uh, quite well, but that that's where I thought it was a bit uh, shaky in terms of um, the noise it makes. Actually, if I could go back to her performance, the, the one thing that kind of bothered me, I think, about her performance was she's supposed to be, or she's playing the mother of this child, but I really didn't feel like the real mother-son bond was there. You know, that that's probably would have would have really made performance a lot better it just seemed like two actors together you know what i mean yeah and i think to the most part for the most part that's what sort of 
kind of ruined the film for me a little bit because that's one of the main themes of the film is you know parenthood especially motherhood you know indeed and uh then the to jump to to um, uh, a thing like sound right i, I think uh I, I like the spa soundtrack in this one it's not very conventional like you you have ambient in uh in movies, of course, uh, you know, rumbling and drone and what have you. But here, Sabu, his, and working with his composer, of course, it's it's a mix of ambient drone and even intense noise. Uh, mm-hmm. Like if uh, listeners are familiar with uh, noise music, it verges on floating into that for certain moments. Uh, and being a fan of that, anyway, I thought, oh, that's rather delightful. You don't hear that in music, uh, in movies, necessarily bringing up the noise to that degree um he doesn't bathe the movie in that is for certain moments where it's like like he increases the sound like that and then drops it essentially it's all good and i don't think i have many other notes other than teasing you listeners who are in on this sabu journey there's running in this movie (laughs) there's running there's eventually there's running like but it isn't sabu like leaning on a lazy choice Mm -hmm. he knows running (laughs) <laughs> yeah like he's good at it in movies uh so it's just because it's been such a humorous inclusion before that we I, I talk of it a little bit more humorously i mean there's chases in many movies either on foot or in a car of course right. so well i guess uh, you know i think that's the issue with um maybe subscribing too much to auteur theory is that you're just going to pick out these little things yeah. that you see in the <laughs> movies no matter how mundane they're going to be you know if yeah. it's running it's like oh my god he has hair you know it's like oh my god all of his other films he had hair, characters had hair too you know it's like how far do you take that really if anything you know he might be just you know he might be getting a little laugh. At, uh, Sabu might be getting a little laugh out of that. It's like, okay, let's put a running scene there, you know, because everyone's going to want to see that, you know, that kind of thing. Oops. <laughs> Woohoo, running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. My dog wants to go out and run right now. That That's what the thing is, all this r- talking about it. I said mostly in black and white, and uh, that's all I have to say about it. Uh, there's a key little sequence where, where Sabu, uh, working with uh, what I assume is a digital film, he, he can manipulate uh, manipulate film, so he isn't going old school and shooting on grainy 16mm or anything like that. So, uh, But yeah, it's uh, I, I like it. And uh, it's um, really the end of my notes right now, and I have a tiny little summary on Sabu in general. So um, I'll, I'll conclude my notes on Miss Zombie with uh, that I'm I recommend it if you can find it. Uh, it is officially available, uh, as I'll talk of uh, in a little bit. But I'll I'll, um, I'll let you share any other notes that you might have, John. You know, as we've kind of uh, mentioned earlier, you know, as far as how the film, its production influences are concerned, you know, with uh, a silent horror film as well as, you know, German expressionistic film. You know, I think uh, in that case is successful. I think I do have some issues some minor visual issues with it being digital film. Not not that I would necessarily want it to be, you know, regular uh, celluloid film, but um, something about the, you know, the definition of the film sometimes kind of threw me off a little bit, you know. Part of it is the reason why it throws me off is because, as we mentioned earlier, not only is the production uh, influence in there visually, but also, you know, the costuming and, you know, there's other aspects of the film that, sometimes sort of um kind of graded on each other a little bit you know who knows by the way maybe if it's uh as a filmmaker working in the small like doing a small movie like this i wonder how hard it is to just argue 
for shooting on film. Like maybe we've gone to that point where it's more no than yes when breaking it all down in terms of what is more expensive to do. Like who knows? Maybe he wanted to shoot film, but maybe they just said we can't afford it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Especially you know the case that uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, companies that produce film you know no longer are going to do that anymore. Like, so, we don't have a film I, camera anymore. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I'm not really too sure. And it, it could be it's cheaper to uh, shoot digitally. You know, one thing that was that sort of uh, came to mind when um, when uh, I was writing that note down was that uh, if you think of uh, Tetsuo, the original Tetsuo by uh, directed by Tsukamoto, you know, like I saw the original Tetsuo when it came to the U.S. I think it was back in like 89 or 90 or something in theaters. It was just like one of those things. Yeah, it was a, it was a word of mouth thing. You know, it's like, oh, it's crazy Japanese film, so we got to go see it, you know, that kind of thing. Then you contrast that with Tetsuo 2, um, was it the Tetsuo to the body hammer or whatever it was called where the production values were so much different. If I remember it was actually shot on video or so, something of that nature. And then maybe was, the VHS gave off that. Di- I, I remember it being filmed, but maybe the VHS I saw didn't, couldn't like see it specifically. Or maybe I was just thrown by, Oh, color. There was something about it, but there was just the difference in the production value kind of like automatically prejudiced a lot of people toward Tetsuo too, you know, cause it's like, first one seems so classic plus you know it's the production you know kind of reflected a lot on the theme of the film you know it's black and white you know very expressionistic that kind of thing you know um whereas you know the sequel was in color you know you could see a lot more you know obviously because of you know it being in color you know so came to mind you know when i was watching miss zombie not not to say that these films are in any way related but um just the idea that you have these different you have this production in or you have this way that you're producing the film but certain elements of it of the film can kind of conflict with each other i guess is the word not great uh they can conflict with each other it's like where is this happening? When's it happening? You know, it's in black and white, but at the same time, it's kind of high resolution. You know, it's like all these things that sort of like sometimes add up to a little confusion. Yeah, you're kind of used to um, black and white coming with some grain and here like right, uh, there exactly. is. Uh, so I, I, I totally get what you're referring to. And hey, I, I actually got a connection between uh, Tsukamoto and uh, Sabu. They're both, if I remember correctly, cast in Martin Scorsese's new movie as actors. Oh, Okay. They were both in Ichi the Killer, right? I think she knows Komoto. Uh, they, they've been in a film together previously, too. So, so yeah, Scorsese's latest movie, calls, uh, it's not out yet. It's slated for 2016, called Silence. And it's apparently based on a Japanese novel. So, uh, therefore, they're going to mix uh, cast. Uh, Liam Neeson is in it, uh, Andrew Garfield, and and uh, various uh, Japanese cast that I'm not familiar with. But uh, Sabu and Shinya Sakamoto are cast to a degree in the movie. No? So... It's not just walk on. I assume they're they're in it, minor supporting role. Who knows? Uh, roles rather. Uh, so yeah, that's the <laughs> little bit of Tetsu Sabu connection uh, the second time around uh, because you said they maybe appeared in a movie or two before together as actors. Yeah, and they did appear in Ichi the Killer together. Yeah. Now now that I'm looking at the production credits. So what was I? Okay, so that sort of the sort of mix of different uh, elements of the film sort of conflicting with each other slightly hurt the film in my eyes um you know i mean again maybe something that that can't be helped because you know you know we have budget concerns to think about and 
that sort of thing. Overall, though, I'd say, you know, it's the film, I think, was pretty successful in getting what it, it uh, wanted to say out, you know, in, in producing some elements, some social elements that, again, are sort of influenced by older silent films, but also talking a lot about what's happening today in society and what probably will unfortunately always be present in our society. I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, you know, last episode we were talking about um, a Bunny Drop, that there are some themes that sort of echo in the two films, you know, with uh, that of uh, parenthood. To a degree, you could say, you know, single parenthood. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how far you want to take that, really. You know, with the um, uh, with with that particular theme, and I, I don't want to go into any spoilers with uh, Miss Zom. It's a, it, it's a, it's it's wise to avoid it because the the story is uh, not conventional and cliched as such. You can't really read it from afar. Like, aha, I know, I know exactly what the final confrontation is going to be like, or anything. And, and so, yeah, it's it's better answered. But yeah, but uh, not only parenthood, but also the sacrifice of parenthood. You know, what you have to go through to be a parent, both in how you raise your child as well as how you can lose your child. You know, again, not trying to spoil elements of the story, you know, the kind of effects those things can have on you and uh, your life um, as a parent, you know. So I thought that was kind of interesting that you have a film that is very commercially oriented, adapted from a manga, you know, for all intents and purposes, a feel-good film, you know, along with something, a film that's almost the exact opposite, a more artsy, expressionistic film based primarily in the horror genre is still has these themes that the commercial film has, you know. So I think that, again, that shows sort of this versatility or this um, sort of Sabu being able to work with different flavors of film while at the same time being able to uh, work with similar themes, you know, I, I, th I think that's a uh, really interesting. I think again, it bodes well for, you know, what we can expect from Sabu in the future, you know, regardless of, you know, anything that he has currently in production, but that, you know, he is a director who can work in many different kinds of uh, media um, as well as uh, work with uh, very different kinds of films, um, uh, films themselves, as well as different kinds of themes. So, you know, I think that's a that's a big positive on his end of things. You know, I think that makes is what really makes him stand out in contemporary Japanese film because uh, a lot of contemporary Japanese film and its directors don't have that sort of versatility, that sort of freedom to go you know, from genre to genre and theme to theme like he does, which is kind of sad because, you know, when you think of classic Japanese film, that's the foundation of that classic Japanese film. You know, you know, you look at the Kurosawa's, the Masaki Kobayashi's, those guys who could work with these really heavy themes and sometimes in different kinds of media, different kinds, different ways of expression and uh, different narratives. I mean, it was such a free-for-all for quite a ma many decades, especially as Japanese film tend, uh, could lean towards exploitation and, and adult uh, themes more and still feature like serious themes too. Like, uh, that, that, that's... As well as, yeah, art film, you know, pink film. That that free for all must have been so wonderful because it was welcomed. You know, there was no one saying like, "Yeah, make it more commercial." No, you can, and we are going to provide the platform for it. And uh, you know, n nothing lasts forever, of course. But it must have been. You know, one thing that it's kind of, I guess, somewhat ironic is that, uh, to a degree, even those films were driven by 
I don't want to say market needs, but market interest is probably a better term to use because if you have an audience that wanted to see those kinds of films, you know, films where, you know, the directors were more free to express themselves in very different and abstract and symbolic ways, then those directors will take that opportunity to, you know, do, do films in those, uh, those ways. You know, if you think of like, you know, the art theater guild and, and, um, you know, all these uh, and the directors, you know, who came out of that sort of new wave movement of, in Japan back then, you know, it's, you had an audience for that. Now you don't have an audience for that. You have an audience who wants to see, you know, adaptations and you want to see films that are based on their favorite manga or their favorite TV shows and stuff like that. So, you know, there's unfortunately not as much room for you know the, the directors who want to you know, have different ideas about film, you know, so it is still driven by a market. It's just a different sort of thinking. It's a different era. It's a different way. And, you know, it's, and of course you could be a little cynical and say, well, the market was manipulated by commercial interest. Well, yeah, that's true. Of course. (laughs) But, you know, it's still up to the audience to find their own, interests and to develop, you know, and producers or directors or, you know, production companies to, you know, develop a niche from those alternate interests. And that's just how it just how the market works it's kind of an interplay between uh from each side of the screen uh, of course yeah so uh so i mean hong kong is ironic in the same way in in many ways with now so many mainland china friendly movies being Mm -hmm. made because that's where the money is and me and josh talked of um this movie from 1993 on this week in sleaze which was set on the mainland and did everything in its power to portray the mainland as completely incompetent because you could you, the Hong Kong market it was made for the Hong Kong market and it was co- that was commercially interest because the audience liked that stuff that's funny that's funny and uh, it was an exploitation movie at the same time and now you couldn't make that movie no way that uh, it's um, it's changed a whole lot in Japan it'll turn around to something you and I find compelling um, and that can coexist with others taste as well but uh, not all is doomed but uh, there'll always be people who want to do something interesting and different. You know, I mean, let's say you look at the UK distributor, um, uh, third window films, you know, they, they still, they put out a lot of stuff that has, it's kind of like films that sometimes have one foot in commercial interest and one foot in, in indie interest. You know, it's, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, you know, it just, Sometimes it takes time to look for it, you know, but that's why, you know, you have things like podcasts and websites that will hopefully cue you off on those kinds of things. It might, might not seem like it matters a lot, but to me it does because it can take me out of the movie when done poorly. As far as I can see, John, the gore that is here is physical. They, they're mainly focusing on uh, squib effects. But even squib effects nowadays, when someone gets shot and, boo, and blood comes out of, the, out of that area of the body, that's often done nowadays. Even in uh, productions that you would think would know better, it's done with CG because people do not even want to uh, mop up after one squib effect. <laughs> you know? And as far as I can see, Sabu, uh, for the various effects here, did it for real. And it might not seem like much to be thankful for, but for me it is, because it is rare. And I get taken out of, the mo- out of a movie, even a good one quite instantly in a moment like that when there's CG gore. And that might sound silly, but I gotta tell you, John, it is 
it makes me sad when when even one moment can't be done on set for real like yeah I'm, uh, mm-hmm. but but then when it, the screen is painted in cg blood that, that's uh even like that now it's cut now it's a cartoon what are you doing i mean did you ever see that movie uh the ninja movie starring rain ninja assassin i think oh yes yes uh, i haven't seen it but yeah i know of it holy I've seen some scenes, yeah. Like a CG cut scene. Like it started well, but then it was just a a, a cartoon there. And it did look conv- didn't look convincing at all. Dread did it pretty convincingly, I have to say. I, I was not a huge fan of Dread, but I thought it was a fun time. Th- that that looked okay. But, uh, yeah, but the, the sparse moments here that are very crucial moments are, as far as I could see, despite it being black and white, done for real with a, with a, a good old squib rigged up on... The various actors. So, so that's uh, that's that. And let's uh, do the availability really quick. It is on DVD and Blu-ray in Japan, but no English subtitles are present on these releases. Korea released quite an... Sorry if I sound stupid here, but it was quite an overpriced DVD with subtitles, though. It's like $40 for a bare bonus thing in Korea. So what I would like to see, and hopefully it will come true, uh, is uh, maybe a Hong Kong disc will come out in the future on DVD or Blu-ray, uh, because I doubt when all is said and done, despite this having a zombie angle, that you'll get a a Western distributor of this. I kind of doubt it. Maybe Kino in America, if they're still interested in Japanese cinema, if they're still around. Yeah, it's hard to say. But uh, yeah, so I, I opted at this time anyway for a fan-subbed version of the Japanese DVD, uh, so maybe they took that translation from the quite overpriced dvd in korea but uh yeah i um i'll, I'll definitely um want to look uh, into getting an official copy but uh, at, at this time at this stage in my life i didn't fancy paying that much for a just a simple dvd so to say a blu-ray a blu-ray price that would make sense i think but uh, no, at this point I didn't. So Ju- judge me if you like, but that, that's just how I feel. How I feel at this time. But yeah, I, I do oh, no want problem, to own this. Cheap ass. Thank you. I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw the same fan sub, so it's not like I own a copy because I'm better than you. But yeah, hopefully I'll get a a Blu-ray release. Uh, alternatively, I'll pick up like a, the Japanese Blu-ray and download a subbed Blu-ray version. Uh, not a lot of dialogue, but you do need the subtitles. At least I do. I mean, it's, you know, I always ask you this because this is so sparse on dialogue. Would would you have survived sans subtitles for this one? There was some actually. There's some terminology that I, I didn't really understand. It was like when in the beginning of the film, I think you know the, when the doctor's talking. There's yeah, a few words I didn't get, but yeah, for the most part, it's pretty easy. Right. On. Uh, okay, we got a few final things to do. Uh, next time we'll we're done, so there's no next time for now. I mean, I have talked of another series uh, with John and uh, it's just a matter of planning it well because uh, I I know very little of this director but I've seen one movie of his and that just blew me away so I thought like hey why not familiarize myself with this director and I have a feeling there's 10, 20, 30 movies or something to choose from and uh, I pitched the idea of talking of Hideo Hideo Gosham basing that only on the fact that I've seen the movie that's either known as Hitokiri or Tenshu or, or, or it's or it's literally those both words in the same title. I don't know. I just remember Tenshi or Hitokiri. Was that the character? Was that the title? Just know that that was a fantastic Shintaro Katsu uh, samurai movie. Uh, so that that just requires planning to check how we are going to approach the series and uh, what movies to pick and all of that. And you you have some familiarity what's uh, 
classic and and or crucial to to watch in a somewhat short series. We don't want to sit there for forty episodes to cover the entire filmography. So. Although that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, would take time. I mean, I, I, I'd do it, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, try to keep it brief despite. But uh, yeah, right. do the whole main review, some quick take reviews, and get some movies uh, done that way, more than just um, a couple. That's uh, I, think, I would like to thank you all for listening to this coverage of Director Sabu, and I hope it was somewhat informative, and hopefully we created some or even huge interest in the filmmaker through our... Uh, examination here on the podcast um and uh, despite it being difficult to own his movies as we talked about i hope uh, there is some interest uh, in him that way so, certainly it was fun for me to like rediscover his movies because i i had monday and postman blues but i only remember vaguely watching postman blues because i the vague memory was it's about a postman very profound there miss zombie hmm. must be about uh the holocaust uh, that's right yeah <laughs> but Monday was the same uh, not the same I, I'd forgotten everything about Monday so every movie was essentially new to me you know what Ken it happened on a Monday uh-huh. I know that for sure clever <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it was fun to rediscover it rediscover it and discover so much new things like to unveil and uncover a director that started wild and quirky develop that into a skill that pops up quite often subsequently but having worked during three decades as director it's not worked for 30 years but he's worked in three decades coming up on his uh, 20 year anniversary of his first film um, next year you know he, he has developed a more skill than what you know the mad monday and dangan runner contained but he's mixed in valid drama done more accessible down-to-earth drama and at this point, as evident by Miss Zombie, I think he has developed in quite a few areas and a confidence within them that he's become quite exciting to follow because there's no said path and no one is steering him but him, seemingly. Like he's not drawn into this commercial game where he's stuck. And that is exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Chasuke's journey might hold because um, I simply can't... Uh, I can't have a perception at this point because the trailer don't, don't give me it doesn't give me that uh, like aha I know where I know where this game is uh, about here and and that is exciting to follow so looking forward to seeing a subtitled version of that sometime uh, within the year or something any final words you want to share about Sabu in general it's interesting to um, do a series on a director who's you know whose work is still ongoing you know because obviously if we look at a director who has retired or passed on that, you know, we can pick out elements of their film and kind of get an idea of what they're, they are as a director or a actor or an artist, whatever in general. And, you know, to see this sort of evolution and then to sort of leave it as well, he's still evolving through, you know, whatever projects he decides to take in the future, or maybe he won't, you know, maybe he'll just retire and then that will be the end of, of everything you know it's just sort of a interesting thing to sort of like leave it up in the air as far as you know what's what's going to be next for for him you know i hope maybe down the line you know maybe after he's done a couple more films or a few more projects and they're available to us maybe we, we could possibly go back and maybe incorporate you know as maybe as a special episode or something like that 
there's like if we're still around and doing this stuff in in two three years i'm sure there's uh maybe two three movies to talk of who knows because he's not making one per decade like he makes a movie every four or five years or something like that and now working in tv too with uh like uh, one movie out a new tv miniseries um on the go and uh, acting gig in a Scorsese movie. So there's, there's stuff, there's stuff coming up. Again, you know, I think this was a really interesting series you do, you know, I, they'll all be interesting to a degree, you know, this one, you know, going through someone who's, you know, still doing work. It really kind of puts your mind to, you know, again, what's going to happen in the future. But, uh, you know, seeing as we might be going the direction of and, director who uh can't who no longer works or can no longer work i should say given that uh uh gosha passed away in the early 90s um that uh that should be of equal value and you know something that uh, i look forward to because even though i've seen i've seen several of his films i've never really um really focused on him as a director like what sort of themes he has or what sort of uh, actors he uses that kind of thing you know so uh looking forward to that too if that happens and if not then i have no other idea so you might as well (laughs) happen like uh, has oh she done anything new like that's uh like like, uh, i'd rather i'd rather rather trek forward for a bit uh like uh in terms of the rediscovering or discovering fully uh, someone new here so uh yeah and uh and uh yeah the the availability of some of gosha's movies is a bit greater than Sabu's because Criterion has embraced Gosha to a um, little degree, anyway. Like uh, a movie or two on on uh, on their label. Okay, okay, but uh, we are done then for this series and Japan of Fire for now. So uh, uh, some quick contact information before we sign off. And this has been Japan of Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network, our website podcastonfire.com. Check out the other shows we have on offer plus bonus episodes. Email us if you have any feedback or suggestions. What to cover next? Uh, Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. You can do so on Facebook as well. Uh, leave a like if you uh, if you like us. Facebook.com forward slash PUF network. And join the discussion group and uh, share what you thought and um, share any ideas you might have or any topics you want to discuss. We call the discussion group Podcast on Fire Network, so that's how you'll find us. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. And my reviews on various Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies and sleazy movies and even ninja movies. So goodreviews.com and my video reviews at sleazykvideo.com and my tweets at, at so good reviews. Not two at, but only one at, at so good reviews. Yes. <laughs> Say it with me, doggy. At so good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> She's she jumped the gun. She thought uh, you wanted her to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, soon, doggy, soon, doggy. Uh, rate and subscribe uh, to us on iTunes, depending on that is, and uh, stream us on Stitcher Radio, either via their website or the applications available to uh, on rather the Apple App Store and Google Play. And the final plug goes to you, my friend. Where is V Cinema? V Cinema is located at vcinemashow.com. That's S H O W. We're on uh, Twitter as V Cinema Show as well, and we're also on Facebook. Uh, look for us for film review, discussion, articles, etc. of films in the Asian region, including uh, your uh, your staff writer Colleen's take on Miss Zombie, which we'll certainly link to. Uh, but uh, we are done. Thank you very much, John, for uh, being on this series as well. I greatly enjoyed it, and I hope to see you for next one as well, where you can continue to school me and slap me down when I'm wrong. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I can do that uh, off air, too. You know? 
that, 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 that's all the messages I'm getting right off there. Wrong, 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 wrong. Like in capitals as Can well. Can wrong again. Uh, yeah, I actually have that as a macro on my uh, keyboard. <laughs> just a simple press of like uh, Q and W and then the, like the spam <laughs> yeah. of wrong just keeps. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thank you very much, John. I greatly enjoyed yeah, it. Thank and you. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, see you next time. So I've been Kennedy and with me was Coffin John. So say bye, buddy. Goodbye.